All right, stop. If you haven't listened to the episode prior to this, stop right now and go and listen to that first, because this one's not going to make nearly as much sense if you don't listen to that first. So, now that I've said that, let's go. Hi, my name is Tony Thaxton. Like anyone else, I love a great album. But I also love those strange albums that might make you wonder how and why they even exist. But I'm not here to make fun of them. I'm here to celebrate them and tell their story. This is Bizarre Albums. Alias August. Today's episode, The Dukes of Stratosphere, Sonic Sunspot, from 1987. In early 1986, Virgin Records held a meeting with the members of XTC and threatened to drop them if their next record failed to sell more than 70,000 copies. Because the band had stopped touring, Virgin wasn't doing much to promote them. Here's Andy Partridge on Toon Tribe Podcast in 2017. Uh, you're not selling any records. We want you to sell records in the States. That's the big market. To do that, you will need to have an American producer. No more dicking around with English producers because they obviously don't know how to find a sound that will appear, appeal to Americans. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll use an American producer. So they sent lists of American producers. I hadn't heard of any of them. They all just sounded like... Can you com- remember any of the, of well, they, the No, the names, to they? be honest. They just sounded like comedy names to me. It was like... <laughs> You know, Randy Dinkelberger. So the band asked for more names. When they looked at the second list, there was a familiar name this time. Todd Rundgren started out in a Philadelphia psychedelic band called Naz in the late 1960s. They were relatively short-lived, and he would go on to score a few top 40 hits of his own in the 70s with songs like I Saw the Light and Hello, It's Me. But he also made a name for himself as a producer. Some of his biggest producing credits included Grand Funk Railroad's We're an American Band and Meatloaf's Bad Outta Hell. Dave Gregory was a big fan of Rundgren's. The rest of the band weren't all that familiar with him. But Gregory reminded Partridge that Rundgren had also produced the first New York Dolls album, one of Partridge's all-time favorites. Feeling there were no better options, the band agreed to work with Rundgren. They were a little bit in trouble and vulnerable, and they just said, they just sent me their song demos. And I listened to the songs, and this whole idea of a song cycle came to me, you know, that you could do, make it all a piece like it's from dawn till dusk. Yeah. It could be uh, a day, Mm -hmm. or it could be a week, or it could be a year, it could be a lifetime. Yeah. You know, traveling through all these phases, but it's coming from one place and going to another place. Yeah. And so I essentially took a reel of tape, and I've done it. Did it before with an album with the Tubes, where we kind of mapped everything out beforehand, mapped out all the tempos, came up with the running order before we ever recorded anything. But essentially, it was kind of preordained by me. Yeah, right. The order, what the record was going to be like. 
which is something that they never had endured before. Right. <laughs> That's Todd Rundgren on the WTF with Mark Marin podcast, talking about pre-production with XTC. Partridge was happy with the songs that were chosen for the album, but he hated that the album's running order was picked before recording had even begun. Partridge and Rundgren butted heads a lot. He was used to more or less having an executive producer role in the studio, undercutting the credited producer. They just didn't get along well. When the band would see Rundgren arriving at the studio, they would play the theme song from the Munsters, because Partridge thought Rundgren resembled Herman Munster. Though this was going to be a proper XDC record this time around, the psychedelic influence was still there. As I mentioned on the previous episode, the song Big Day from this album was initially brought in by Colin Moulding to be a song for the Dukes. In a 2010 interview with PopMatters.com, Partridge said that once they'd let that psychedelic musical monster out of the cage, there was no putting it back. Despite all of the tension between the band and Rundgren, the album was finished in June of 1986. The album would be called Skylarking and released on October 27, 1986. The initial response was indifferent. Its lead single, Grass, had been released a few months prior and peaked at only number 100 on the UK singles chart. The B-side to Grass was a song that was initially planned for Skylarking. When Skylarking was first completed, the band's A&R man at Virgin expressed concern about the song Dear God. He thought that the song might upset American audiences in particular. The band reluctantly agreed to make the song a B-side and put the song Another Satellite in its place. But then, fate stepped in. In America, the place that Virgin was most concerned about DJs on college radio stations started to play Dear God. Quickly, Geffen Records, who distributed Skylarking in the U.S., recalled the album and repressed it, now including Dear God, and removing the song Mermaid Smiled. Dear God would go on to peak at number 37 on the U.S. Billboard Mainstream Rock Tracks chart, and that propelled Skylarking to spend 29 weeks on the Billboard 200, peaking at number 70. The album is now considered a classic, widely regarded as XTC's best work. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Perhaps it was because of the tension that he had with Rundgren, but Partridge was reminded of how much he enjoyed working with producer John Leckie on the Dukes of Stratosphere EP. And because the Dukes outperformed XTC in sales... Virgin no longer had concern or doubt about the Dukes. They wanted another Dukes record. Partridge claims with weak and bad acting, he protested. But in reality, he needed no encouragement. He was ready to do it again. And this time, with more than twice the budget of the first go-round. So in August of 1987, Sonic Sunspot by the Dukes of Stratosphere was released on Virgin Records. The album kicks off with a Colin Moulding song, Vanishing Girl. Moulding and Partridge switch for this song, with Moulding on guitar and Partridge on the bass. In the Deluxe Edition reissue CD liner notes, Partridge says this was okay by him because he loves to play bass. The band had the idea of making it a concept album this time. This decision was inspired by old psychedelic records that would have some sort of nonsense narrative to connect the songs to make it a concept album. So to try and accomplish this, the band reached out to British comedy actor Derek Geiler to do some speaking bits between the songs. What can I do for you, Vicar? Well, now, you might just be able to help me. You mm-hmm. see, uh, all morning I've been in a quandary. Ah, I'm thinking of buying one of those foreign cars. <laughs> Unfortunately, Geiler's manager told them it would cost £10,000 to get him. The entire record had a budget of £11,000, so they needed a new plan. It just so happened that the owner of Sawmills, the recording studio where the band was making the record, had two young daughters who were often playing outside of the studio. The girls were very well-spoken, and Partridge got the idea to have the older girl, named Lily Fraser, read some Alice in Wonderland-esque nonsense that he wrote to go between the songs. By this time, the suitcase was getting very heavy, so I rested on a grassy knoll and took a peek inside. 
As I opened it, out burst a fountain of many-coloured butterflies, rainbow game counters, chess pieces, laughing cutlery, tiny chairs and tables, and flying plates covered with exotic fruit. Up next is Have You Seen Jackie? The song was originally titled Have You Seen Sydney? But Partridge changed it out of concern that he thought people might think it was a reference to the city in Australia. Sydney was actually meant as a nod to Sid Barrett of Pink Floyd, one of his big psychedelic influences. Track 3, Little Lighthouse, was actually written as an XTC song that was intended for Skylarking, but Todd Rundgren rejected it. Up next is the album's single, You're a Good Man, Albert Brown. The song is about Partridge's grandparents. His grandmother, Elsie Brown, nursed his grandfather, Albert Partridge, back to health after he was wounded in World War I. Partridge has said that the song is more or less a straight telling of their story. The band also filmed a music video for the single. After a Beatlesque song called Kaleidoscope closes out Side A, Side B begins with a song that was originally intended to be the album's opener, You're My Drug. But the label wanted Vanishing Girl to start the album, so they literally just switched the sides. Partridge ultimately liked this decision because now the talking bits between the songs made even less sense. This is also another song that was originally intended for XTC. It was written back in 1978 when they were making their go-to Shiny Cage is another Colin Moulding song, originally written for XTC's Big Express album. Partridge has called the song a shameless rewrite of the Beatles' I'm Only Sleeping. Close 
Brainiac's Daughter was a blatant attempt by Partridge to write a late Beatles-era Paul McCartney song. Brainiac is actually a villain from the Superman comics, and Partridge thought Brainiac would be a great psychedelic subject to write a song about, adding his non-existent daughter. once again had John Leckie producing. Two years after this album, he would produce the debut for the Stone Roses, who were influenced by the Dukes and have said that they wanted to sound like them. In 1995, Leckie would produce Radiohead's second album, The Benz, which would go platinum in the U.S. and four times platinum in the U.K. After one more Colin Moulding song called The Affiliated, the album closes with Pale and Precious. When they started recording the song, Dave Gregory told Partridge that he thought maybe they were wasting the song on the Dukes and that it should be saved for XTC. Partridge said that he knows what he meant, but he told him not to worry about it and he'd come up with something else. Pale and Precious was a nod to the Beach Boys. Partridge said that he tried his best to sound like Carl Wilson and that it was the hardest song on the album to pull off. So pale and precious is the light that will shine out of her perfume golden hair. So pale and precious are the steps that I climb up to her roofs of riding If all of the things she said were flowers on trees will Virgin would also release a Dukes of Stratosphere CD under the name Chips from the Chocolate Fireball. Despite the new title, it was actually just 25 O'Clock and Sonic Sunspot now as one album. Chips from the Chocolate Fireball is currently streaming on Spotify. Once again, the Dukes record sales outperformed XTC. Despite this, Sonic Sunspot would be the end of the line for the Dukes. There was talk of a rock opera called The Great Royal Jelly Scandal, but it never got past the idea stage. The Dukes would reunite for one song in 2003 for a charity compilation album, and I'm going to cover that on this week's episode of Bazaar Singles over on Patreon. So if you'd like to hear that, be sure to join over at patreon.com slash bazaaralbums. The Duke's albums would be reissued in 2009 on Andy Partridge's label, Ape House Records. These deluxe versions included demos of some of the songs, plus extensive liner notes written by the band. There was also a box set called XTC as the Dukes of Stratosphere, The Complete and Utter Dukes. It features both albums on CD and vinyl, a 7-inch single, a 500-piece jigsaw puzzle, 
and a wad of so-called Duke's dollars, which could be redeemed for a t-shirt. And XTC is hardly the only band to record an album in a different style under a totally different name. In 2008, Green Day would release an album of garage rock songs under the name Foxborough Hot Tubs. But that is for another time. Thank you for listening to Bizarre Albums. If you like the show, please subscribe and leave a review. It helps people find the show. You can also follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Bizarre Albums, and I'm at Tony Thaxton. You can also like Bizarre Albums on Facebook and visit BizarreAlbums.com. And if you still want more Bizarre Albums in your life, sign up for weekly bonus episodes of Bizarre Singles and more at Patreon.com slash Bizarre Albums. And as always, if you know of a Bizarre Album you'd like to hear featured, please tweet the show. I'd love to hear from you. You can even email me at bizarrealbums at gmail.com. My name is Tony Thaxton, and I'll see you next time on Bizarre Albums. <laughs>